You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Get on the main highway, and the main highway is Jesus and being conformed to his image. And as God is conforming us to his image, reaching out to a hurting world. Everything else is pretty much a non-essential. There's so many things we see in a glass darkly and are not clear about, and the Bible doesn't make it clear to us, and we won't totally understand it and have all the answers until we get there. But I certainly understand clearly the most important things. The Bible is filled with ways for a follower of Jesus to do just that, follow Jesus. In fact, you have Jesus's life laid out for you right here in the Gospels. You'll learn from him and from those who knew him here on earth how to love others. You're given instructions for how to communicate with God and how to share the truth with others. And that's what you need to know. As Pastor Danny will remind you today, you don't actually need answers to every tiny little theological question that you might have. Hold fast to what you do know. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 with today's edition of The Living Word. left off verse 14, so we'll pick it up there, and he starts off by simply saying, keep reminding them of these things, and several of the things previous that he's taught, but especially the last couple of lines where verse 13, he says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself, speaking of the Lord, and the idea is the Lord doesn't change. Uh, his character has never changed. It's always been the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And isn't it an amazing thing as a Christian that a holy God who has never changed or never will change gives us the privilege of becoming like him? That's an amazing, amazing truth that uh, as a Christian, what he's doing in my life is he's conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is God in human form. And so he's conforming me, and if you know Christ, he's conforming you to his image, to his character, and that takes some work. And part of the work is this opening line. Keep reminding them of these things. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is ungodly, but be transformed, that's God's work, how? By the renewing of your mind, that's my responsibility, that's our responsibility as Christians. And he's talking about renewing our mind with the Word of God. I've been reading the Bible a long time, I've read through it more times than I can count, but every time I go through it, it's fresh. It's not like any other book, it's a living book, this is a God-breathed book. Peter says a similar thing, and I'm coming right back to 2 Timothy, but let me just read you from 2 Peter chapter 1, 
And the context of this is Peter's talking about growth as a Christian and adding to your faith godly characteristics, being conformed to the image of Christ. And he talks about adding to your faith goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and, and brotherly kindness and love. And then he says in verse 12, so I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I'll soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. He's an old saint now. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you'll always be able to remember these things. In other words, he's telling them the things that they already knew. Now, if you've been around here a long time, and be careful your response to this, but you know I'm just saying the same things over and over and over and over and over again. And you're going, yeah, we know. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Back in 2 Timothy, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. And if the resurrection has already taken place, what kind of faith will you have? Because if the resurrection has already taken place, we're in big trouble. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. The Lord knows who are his. And ultimately, only the Lord knows. Leave here just a minute. Go to one other scripture with me. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus speaking here, beginning in verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And then he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And then the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up, pull up the weeds? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them by mistake. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And what's the point of the parable? That in the kingdom here on earth, in the church, there are weeds and there's true wheat. In a group this size right now, there are probably some weeds here. You're saying, are you going to call me out? No, because the point of the parable is ultimately only God knows. Listen, none of the other 11 apostles knew that Judas had never been saved, that he was a devil from the beginning. Not until after everything had been unfolded, after he betrayed Jesus Christ, did they find out. They must have been shocked. He drives this point home. Look, verse 31 in Matthew 13. He told them another parable. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Birds in the Bible always represent evil. And so the idea here in this parable, same idea, church grows and birds come and perch within the tree. And then he drives it home again. Verse 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Yeast undoubtedly in the Bible represents evil. And here again, the dough, the kingdom, the true bread, and within there you got yeast. And the idea is, in the church, in the kingdom here and now, there are those who are genuine and there are those who are not. Now, that's not the point of the message, but you need to hear that. Now, for the true wheat, for the pure bread, for the real deal, the rest is for you. Back in 2 Timothy, verse 20. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, now he's talking about the true believer. He will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. I don't know anybody that's truly born again that doesn't want to be used by the Lord. Ever since I gave my life to Christ, I, I've wanted him to make a difference in my life. I wanted to be conformed, and I still do, into the image of Jesus Christ, but I also want him to use my life to make a difference. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be a noble vessel, not an ignoble vessel. And every true believer certainly has that inner desire that you want to be a noble vessel. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I don't know if you understand, but the context of this whole section here is being a vessel of honor. Being a vessel of honor. Now, as you take it as a whole in the context, I want to pull out one statement that I think really sums it up. Okay, One statement, and you find that statement in verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You're the real deal. You really are saved. You really do know the Lord. And so if I'm going to be then a noble vessel, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work, flee the evil desires of youth. Don't misunderstand that statement. Flee the evil desires of youth. He's writing, of course, to Timothy, but it's holy writ, and so it's meant for us, all of us as Christians. Scholars believe that Timothy at this time was about 35 years old, still younger than the Apostle Paul, but no longer a teenager. 
no longer a kid. And so flee the evil desires of youth, the youthful longings, the youthful lust, as one translation has it, is applicable both for the younger person in age and the older person who's never grown up. There's some men who are still boys because they've never grown up. There's some women who are still uh, girls because they've never grown up, they've never matured. And the idea here, listen, if you're going to become a noble vessel, vessel useful to the master, then you've got to grow up. And, and even the younger person can become mature. You don't have to be like everybody else. Uh, in your age bracket, you can become mature. So what I want to give you, because it's the passage, it's really the thrust of the passage, flee the evil desires of youth, I want to give you six characteristics that you're going to have to flee from and continue to flee from if you're going to be a noble vessel for the Lord. And the first is clear in the passage. And that's you've got to stop the foolish and stupid arguments. And the arguments he's talking about especially have to do uh, with the Word and with truth. You know, there's some Christians and some churches that major on the minors and minor on the majors. I mean, the things we argue about. You ever, you ever think of kids, you know, my kids when they were young, they'd argue about the craziest things. And you're an adult and you're a parent, and you're going, why are you arguing about that? And as an adult now, you can't understand it, but when you were their age, you did the same thing. Listen, life is too short and the mission is too clear to sit around and argue over non-essentials. Get on the main highway, and the main highway is Jesus and being conformed to his image, and as God is conforming us to his image, reaching out to a hurting world. Everything else is pretty much a non-essential. There's so many things we see in a glass darkly and are not clear about, and the Bible doesn't make it clear to us, and we won't totally understand it and have all the answers until we get there. But I certainly understand clearly the most important things. Stop quarreling over words. Stop the foolish, stupid arguments, and some churches end up just arguing over stuff instead of getting busy with the mission. That's true, isn't it? Don't you do that. Don't you do that. Let me give you a second. My two favorite classes growing up in school, my two favorite classes were lunch and recess. Lunch and recess. I was, I was always excited about both of those. Here's a characteristic of youth. Here's a characteristic of youth. They always want to play. <laughs> come on. Come on. And if your kids have done this, don't you tell me. Don't you tell me. Anybody's kid, when you say, hey, would you take out the trash? And they say, praise the Lord. I've been waiting for you to ask me that. When it's time to really do something responsible around the house, you know. I mean, my kids have never jumped for joy and said, oh, Mom, Dad, I, I'm so privileged to be able to do that. But that's just, that's just the way a young person is. That's just a characteristic. They always want to be entertained. They always want to play. And a youthful temptation is shirking responsibility just to have fun. Just to have fun. Let me tell you a third. You take a kid into Walmart, what do they gravitate to? Oh. Toy section. Oh, I remember as a kid, man, I could not wait for the Sears 
Christmas catalog. I mean, I'm kidding. That's when, you know, they used to send them out to everybody. You get this thick catalog, you know, and I knew right where to go. I was a professional. I knew right where to go. Man, I'd go right to the toy section. And I'm checking out every toy, and I'm, oh, man, I got them all picked out. Oh, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. I'll never forget the fire truck I got. Oh, man. Got up one Christmas morning, walked in there and there, this thing. You know, oh, I was so excited. Maybe yours wasn't the fire truck. Maybe yours was the Corvette. And guess what? Some of us still that way, and we're older now, and we're on our own. And you go see the real Corvette right up the road. Here, here's the deal. A youthful temptation is, is just to want more. You take a kid in a candy store, oh, can I have this? Can I have, can I have that? Can I have? And there's never enough. Never enough. Listen, listen to this proverb. Proverbs 30, 15, the leech has two daughters. Give, give, they say. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land, which is never satisfied with water, and fire, which never says enough. Now, if I were writing the Bible, now, I, thank God I didn't, but if I were writing it, I'd add one more. And parents could add a fifth to that. You know what it'd be? My kids. Oh, that's enough. Just one piece of candy. Just one toy. No, never enough. And here's the idea. This youthful temptation just to accumulate more toys, just to get more stuff. And adults fall into that. The toys just get bigger and more expensive. And some people, that's all they're living for. The bigger house, the bigger paycheck, and the nicer car. And you'll never be useful to the master. Never be a noble vessel by just trying to accumulate more stuff. Let me give you a fourth. For this one, you could write down, if you'd like to turn to it, you can, 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, is now on the throne. And the story here, beginning in verse 3, says, So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. One of the things Solomon did later in his his kingship and his rule is he taxed the people very heavily. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. And so the people went away. And then, verse 6, King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. And these guys had seen the good things about Solomon in the early days, and then they saw the failure as he got older. And so they replied, if today you'll be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. These are his buddies his pals. He asked them, what's your advice? How should we answer? How would you answer these people and, and uh, say to me, lighten, who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. Tough guys. You tell them how tough you are, and you show them how tough you are, man. 
That's bad advice. And here's the deal. Another youthful temptation that you got to be careful about and flee. And that is just getting advice from people that are your pals and your buddies. I'm not saying they won't sometimes give you good advice, but a lot of times they won't give you good advice. You ask them advice about whether they should submit to their parents or hide behind their back something, you know, because your, your, your buddies might be doing the same thing, and so what are they going to tell you to do? They're going to tell you how to hide it from your parents better. No, no, no. You want to be a noble vessel, useful to the master? Then you find a godly Christian man, a godly Christian woman, and when you need advice, you go and say, I got this decision I make. I got this thing, and I, I need some help. Could you help me? Would you not only pray for me, do you have any advice for me? That's a wise thing. That's why I don't believe as a pastor, groups in the church should be so divided that you're never around people that are not your peers. Let me read you something real quick. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Titus chapter 2, you must teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled and everything set them an example by doing what is good. Now, I wouldn't put a rule to make it happen, but I love life groups that have different ages. I love life groups that have single people that are younger, that have Married couples that have older people that have uh, widows and widowers. And there's such a godly thing that happens in that kind of group because you're able to watch, observe, and be around people that are not your peers. And that's one of the natural ways that older saints train younger saints. Just by their example. Just by life. Well, there's one more I want to share. Actually, two more. I think this is number five. I have taught so many times since Thursday, I don't even know. What day is it? <laughs> so watch out that you don't separate yourself from wise counsel. Look to men and women that are older and been down the road longer, including your mom or dad. There's a fifth one that's a youthful temptation, and this one, this one, this is the one where, where the kid can't wait to get out of the home. Because now they can go where they want to go and stay up as long as they want to. And they can call the shots and don't have to be uh, in submission to mom or dad. And they can do what they want to do now. That's what the prodigal wanted. And it's interesting, the prodigal, it was the younger son that said, give me my inheritance. And he went off and blew it all. But if you're a Christian now, listen, if you're a Christian, even when you're out from under mom and dad, you're not to be independent. Independence for the Christian that's not biblical at all, because God always has authority, godly authority, especially in the church. You always have pastors and elders, whether you're independent from mom or dad or not. So be careful for that youthful desire to just 
call the shots and be on your own and now I'm going to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. But if you're a Christian, what does the Lord want you to do? You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're so glad that you took the time today to learn more from the book of 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul wrote some very wise words and advice to Timothy, encouraging him to keep pressing on to a greater goal than the things even in this world. This is a timely word for you today. Don't get stuck in a rut of worries or allow the world to squash your hopes down in despair. Keep pushing forward towards a goal and a prize that Jesus wants to gift to you. If you enjoyed hearing from Pastor Danny today and would like to listen to other teachings, feel free to visit our teaching archive at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab. If you don't yet have a church to call home, we would love to have you join us. Calvary Chapel Fellowship meets on Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Feel free to come just as you are. If you're unable to be with us in person, you're always welcome to join us in our live stream services. Find the link to that as well as our YouTube channel on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's it for today, but thanks for tuning in with Pastor Danny to learn more from the book of 2 Timothy as we dive into The Living Word.